Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And here we are again in the studios of 3CR. 3CR, your only radio left in the heart of, I was going to say the heart of Melbourne, the heart of uh, Smith Street, Fitzroy. Susanna Duffy here with you again on a beautiful, a really lovely Melbourne day. Joined, of course, by my co-host, Glenn, 3CR resident historian, his and her historian, our historian. I mean, it's, it, you really are our historian. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Susanna. And, of course, good morning, listeners. Because about the listeners, my dear, will we be? We'll be in limbo. Anyway, where I'm going today is going to travel way back to central Victoria in the 1880s, well before you and I were born. Um, I was just going to say, if anyone mm-hmm. out there in, as you call it, listener land, remembers a place called Limbo, give us a ring a little later and remind me, just or just ring and leave a message at the front desk where people will shortly be answering phones and remind us where Limbo is. You don't mean the logons for Limbo? No, just, just Limbo. And I don't mean doing the Limbo rock either. No, no, you mean where's Limbo? Yeah, but you go on, you tell us about something well, way back. Well, I was going back to Creswick, up past Ballarat and Clunes. Where, where, where is it? Creswick. You know where, you, between oh, between Ballarat and Talbot. I know where... Talbot's the Brigadoon of the West, apparently. Brigadoon of the North. <laughs> North West, actually. North West, to be honest. North West. It's between Ballarat and, and Maryborough. which is sort of North West. But it's called the Brigadoon of the North because one of our best listeners, uh, when the bagman first moved up there, well, he didn't move up there. He has a friend who has a little shack up there. And a very quaint shack, too. I thought I'd been there before. Anyway, you're telling the story. I'm, no, I'm I was asking exactly where Creswick was. Creswick. Well, Creswick. Well, I call it Creswick. That's my accent. Creswick's about oh, 40k west of Ballarat. And it's a, it's a town in the what you'd call the Central Goldfields region of Victoria. Some famous people have come from Creswick. Um, the former Labor Prime Minister, John Curtin, and uh, Billy Spence, who was one of the founders of the Australian Workers' Union a long time ago. And Creswick always has been one of the scenes of one of the, uh, the worst workplace disasters in Victorian history. We'll cast our mind back to the 1880s, and Creswick was a, was a mining town. A lot of gold mining was taking place underground. And, well, uh, yes. I mean, gold, gold mines gold. are underground. Absolutely. Rest your fire. Well, we can sluice mine too in, in the waters. Well, I found some at, at Ballarat a couple of years back in their theme park. Sovereign Hill? Yes. So you panned the water and I found a little bit of gold. Most sluice mining, yes. It's worth about $10 maybe. Well, these blokes were digging underground. And it was December 12, 1882. And the night shift workers at the new Australasian mine were heading off to do their shift. And there's about 41 workers around 100 metres below the surface. So night shift, December 12, 1882. And in the early hours of the morning, 
December 13, the mine began to flood as a reef palm on the walls burst forth. Some blokes escaped, but 27 workers were trapped below in an air pocket. Well below the surface, for lack of supports, they were trapped. How would they survive? How could they survive these 27 men? And for three days, their fellow miners and other residents at Creswick dug and used frantic efforts to rescue these men. And there's no big diggers in those days like we have nowadays. It was very antiquated, very primitive machinery. And despite the best efforts, only five of those men were rescued. 22 men died in this mine disaster, one of the worst disasters in Victorian workplace history. At the time, yes. Well, it would have been 19th century. But at that time, I'm sorry, what year was it again? It was December 1882. 1882. So they weren't really really diggers up there anymore. They were mining companies. Correct. I wonder when that happened. uh, 1870s, because the diggers would have gone across the... You had the WA God Rush. There was God Rush in Queensland in the 1870s. And the west coast of New Zealand in the 1860s and 70s. So a lot of miners would have gone to Queensland or across to Aotearoa. But from the 1870s onwards at Bendigo, Ballarat, Maryborough, Creswick, Castlemaine, Clunes, it was a big mining corporation. Do you know the, the battling miners that you know, contribute to our society? No. <laughs> they exist apparently. There was a big mining corporation and they ran the new Australasia 2 mine. But anyway, 22 men died from this workplace disaster. 22, gosh. 22. Well, it's 41 underground, 14 got out, 27 were trapped, and they saved five of those were trapped. And there was a huge funeral. Around 20,000 people attended the funeral. And Did they actually end up re- recovering them? They recovered the bodies. They didn't just concrete over, like like this happened in in New Zealand. In other places, yeah. They recovered the remains of these 22 men who were drowned by this this burst reef. And there's 20,000 attended the funerals. Well, that's a lot for 1882. Well, that would be in the population of the (laughs) the whole region, I dare say. And 4,000 marched in a solemn funeral procession. And in the Crescent Cemetery, 19 of his workers are buried. 19 of the 22 are buried there. As I said, one of the... um, one of the links with the area was a bloke called Bill Spence. He was a founding member of a union looking after his workers, the Amalgamated Miners Association. And he became the first full-time union organiser in Australia. And the Amalgamated Miners Association became the Australian Workers' Union, which is a sad sort of tale, unfortunately. But Spence was a great leader of his workers in the early days. And this is when unions were very basic. And so why we're going back to again. In many ways, the role of unions are 120. 30 years ago is the way we're heading right now well unions were the way they were god that's terrible English but they were like that 130 years ago because it was 130 years ago mm. but, uh, <laughs> we, it, weren't, we weren't very far removed from the people men who had to flee here with their families from England because mm. they dared to form an association. Well, it's the same there. You form an association, like a, a building union, and you have a subject of royal commissions, always trade union royal commissions that union governments. Um, so the same laws, the same mentality which the ruling class used all those years ago to stop workers organising is back at play again. You can see it every day. I mean, and as I said, Billy Spencer, one of the founders of what became Australia's Workers' Union, and the Australian Workers' Union, we saw um, stories yesterday, but um, one of the officials, or some of the officials being paid money by a company to 
trade off their workers' penalty rates. You give us money, and we'll let workers have work for less pay. I mean, what were unions meant to be doing? Goodness me, terrible. Anyway, now, mining place for nature is a hazardous industry. And going back to 1882, 71 miners were killed in Victoria, including about 22 on one day. And there's no work cover in those days. No workers' comp. There was nothing to support the families. An appeal was supported to raise the families those who were killed. And eventually, enough money was raised, so widows received 15 shillings per week. For the children, it was one or three shillings a week until they turned the age of 17. And one of the earliest bits of workplace safety legislation was the, the Mining Accident Relief Fund of 1884, which meant all those victims of mining catastrophes were, were paid. So for the families of those killed in 1882, there was payments made until 1949, when the last surviving digger, Michael Carmody, passed away, 67 years later. Really? Mm. So who who was paying it? It was a state government legislation, the Mining Accident Relief Fund Act, and it's one of the earliest forms of workers' comp in Australia, to my knowledge. I mean, there's the Factory Acts came in the 1890s. This is the first one that I'm aware of, where workers are paid for being injured or killed at work. And um, where have we gone since then? Well, yeah. Mm. And we look now, even this year, it's, it's, it's early May, and 65 Australians have died at work this year. I can't find the breakdown state by state what Victorians' figures are, but 65 Victorians died in early May so far this year. Last year, 175 Australian workers died on the job. 15 of those were Victorian workers, you know. I mean, um, what have we learnt in terms of workplace health and safety, you know? Where are the laws to say to employer, you must provide a workplace free of risks to yourself? Where are these laws? And there are laws in place, but are they enforced? Is there actually a law that says you must provide a safe workplace? Section 21 of the Occupational Health and Safety Act makes it quite clear it is the responsibility of the employer to provide a workplace free from risks to the safety of their employees. But is that law? It is law, yes. It's Section it's, 21 it's, of the Act. But it, and that Act is law? Oh, yes. It's, oh, goodness me, it has been for... But this act is a 2004 version. It's not just a, a no. recommendation. It's not, re- not, not codes of practice, not regulations. This is the act. The act first came in 85. Uh, Kennan and Stockton redid it in 1993. And it was redone by the Brax government. But section 21 is quite clear. There's no ambiguity. It is the role of the employer. It is this duty, the responsibility, to provide a safe working environment for their staff. Well, why don't they? Why should they? The laws aren't enforced. I mean, if you recall, who was the last Victorian Premier before Mr. Andrews? What was his name? Um, oh, you know the bloke who, was, who lost the election. He um, him, nap, 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 napping. He um, his, he was the recycled one. Yeah, he advised WorkSafe because WorkSafe were doing ads about you know employers how they treat their staff, bad employers. You know, your duty as an employer to A, B, and C. Yes. And they're putting stats on employers who are being fined for breaches. Uh, under Mr. Napthine, they stopped putting those, those statistics. If employers were breaching the law, the stats were sort of um, with health and public gaze. Why? Because the employer class has a word in the ear of Mr. Napthine and his ilk. And I hate yeah, but why wouldn't they why wouldn't they want us to know? I mean, what's the point? Why try and hide a fact? Why not? If you run, the, if you run this society, why should you be painted in a bad light, my dear? Are you actually saying, Glenn, that some people might look at these employers who keep Offending and reoffending, mm. and by not um, having a safe, by not providing a safe workplace, mm. are you saying that 
that people, you know, if people saw that, they might not work for them or something or what. Well, or maybe they might, might be lynched. They might question them. They might say, well, why did war fall down? You're responsible. Or why was that work killed when the crown wasn't properly secured? You're responsible. So, but if you're not reading and hearing about these actions for your employee negligence, how would you question it? How would you know about it? We only seem to know about things like this when it happens to members of the public. And the innocent bystander, the passerby. You know, like those three people who sadly yeah. were killed in, like, um, in Swanson Street, Carlton. Yeah. Um, the the person responsible for that structure. I mean, uh, what punishment has been meted out to the person responsible? Have they been incarcerated? I mean, have they been given a special fine? I mean, I, I know it's been passed from a big employer to a small employer. The responsibility, but um, it's still going through the courts, and it's it's very disconcerting. I mean, I look at um. You've seen the Fiskville stuff with the CFA training camp near Ballarat and um, a whole lot of um, I'm people. Fiskville was the Country Fire Authority training facility near Ballarat. CFA, Country Fire yeah. Authority. And the Australian government closed it late last year, early this year. But it's been what's called a cancer cluster. A whole lot of those were based to have developed develop cancers. And, um, cancer cluster at, yeah. the CF, at a CFA training camp. You heard me, my dear. <laughs> when you're there, trying to do, you're there trying to do the right bloody thing. You heard me. <laughs> there was um there was a thing last week. That's background. I think there was a man who did last week who had been one of the supervisors there, and he was saying how they used to bury these big forty-four gallon drums of chemicals, which weren't labelled. And these drums of chemicals were possibly used to light fires to do testing on, put the fires out. And um, what were the chemicals? Who knows? I was they weren't labelled. That's what he was saying last week, and uh, I, I was just thinking stuff. I mean, just I saw some stats last week about occupational cancer, and um, we have someone we know who's um, quite unwell currently, who's possibly possibly has occupational cancer. It's not clear the details, but um, there's so many workplace-related deaths, and uh, who's responsible? Is your father get cancer from the chemicals aren't labelled? Like, where does the buck end? Well, I, I don't know whose fault is it. The person who has supplied the chemicals, the person who hasn't labelled a thing, the person who took uh, control of them to say, I'm going to use this now on my volunteers and my volunteers can train on these things. Um, is that person, who's, who is responsible for it? Well, the buck has to stop with the employer. And why do you get chemicals to start a fire? I thought a box of matches. Oh, and some caro. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Look, I'm not for one Brown minute. rice and kerosene I used to use. I'm not suggesting that anyone goes out and, and tests my theory to practice if you can actually light a fire in the bush with a box of matches. Please don't do, please don't do that. And kiddies, don't try this at home. Again, there's a requirement. I can't recall it. Well, it is legislative requirement, yes. But um, if you're using chemicals or sort of hazardous materials in your workplace, you must provide all the relevant information to your staff. And that includes having copies of the MSDSs available. What's an MSDS? It's a material safety data sheet. Material so, safety mm. data sheet. So if you're sheet. using like a dishwashing fluid or a chemical for your, your photocopier or to scrub your windows and walls down, when you buy off your employer, off the, off the provider, you must be given documentation which is called a material safety data sheet. It explains what the chemical components are, what happens if there's a spill, is it flammable, where to go for support. But if you're using these chemicals 
and it's not in Mr. Yes's, it's a problem. It's sort of like going to the supermarket, you mean, and there's all these things on the shelf and you pick up a box of um, extra special, yummy, juicy, fat-free, gluten-free and all the other bloody free thing, salt-free, sugar-free, mm. power-action food, and you turn over the back to read and it's totally blank. Yeah. So you don't really know what's Correct. in it. But every, is it like that? But everything in the supermarket is labelled. Well, everything that's brought into the workplace, which is possibly hazardous, needs to have a material safety data sheet. I said, I don't care if it's dishwashing liquid, if it's you know, if it's cleaning your photocopier, if it's there and it's got a chemical base, your employer must access the material safety data sheet, which must be made available to yourself as a worker or your safety rep. Yes, because there are a lot of things. I, I was quite um, surprised to find when my friend, our friend Lisa, Lisa Cookshank, when she was working up uh, at Epping and the chemicals that uh, were used, she was cleaning um, the site and the chemicals up there, she said they were horrific. But they were all, because they were labelled, and she read, she read them all, you see. Good. When she read them all, she said, right, well, we all want safety masks. So, in fact, we want full, you know, safety things, top to bottom. They Absolutely. Up, they ended up getting gloves and masks because she read the back of the, read the, back of the can. L- read the back of the cans and the tins and the packets, listener. Always do that. Because it might appear innocuous, but, I mean, <laughs> for a long time. Look, don't be it. For many years, um, even though the big mining corporations and the heads of medicine and law knew the dangers of asbestos, it was like a, it was a friendly product. Was, it solved our problems. We could just play, throw it up, you know? The Romans, the Romans knew it was deadly. The Romans knew it killed people. It killed them with coughing. Well, don't think it. In Ballarat, Bendix Corporation was still making asbestos brake pads about a decade ago. Bendix, I yes. know that name. They were still using asbestos-based products about a decade ago, and um, yes, I mean that's not a that's not a slight upon the imagery. It's just it's a reality. It's like you know defoliants, like two, four, five, ten stuff. You know, they were sprayed across parts of Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia by the Americans, and caused huge damage. We're still being used domestically in Australia too, a decade, twenty years later. But they were that's that stuff. That stuff. What what it is? There's two, four, five, D two. Two, four. Yeah, but that, that was sprayed to kill people. The yeah. Americans sprayed that to kill people. But look, I know. I was thinking. I mean, oh. that's what that. That's what it was sprayed for. They were, for some reason, they had this in their head. The Americans, well, the American military ruling at the time yeah. said we have to kill all these people in Vietnam and Laos and, and, did. and Cambodia. <laughs> and this is the cheapest and most efficient way yeah. to kill them without having our killers uh, threatened in any way from harm themselves. Well, like Zyklon B. But, yeah, but why then would you be pouring it over your front lawn or your back lawn or the National Park here in Australia? It kills the weeds. If, if you're knowing that it kills people. Look, I was working as a landscaper back in the 80s, and uh, we were using Roundup. And I, I was our safety rep, but I made it quite clear <laughs> we're using it. We uh, have proper protection, you know. We are gloved, we are covered, we have face masks, you know. Maybe I'll overstep the mark as a young safety rep, but I was concerned it's a chemical which has risks involved. And I had noticed I have myself, you know, 20 years later, I'd be exposed to, you know, testicular cancer or kidney cancer because this chemical go to my system. So, you know, you've got to be really careful when using these man made products. You can still buy Roundup at the shop. Yeah, you can. Yeah, look, you can use these things, but again, as long as you are using them in a safe manner. And if it's not a safe manner to use them, you don't use them. But if it's going to poison you when you're using them, what the hell is it doing to your front yard? 
What's it, what's it doing to your cabbage patch? It's it's killing it. Well, that's why. Well, that's why some of us have organic gardens in our house. I I use new chemicals in my garden. My garden is purely TLC compost and nature's rainwater and seaweed. No, I, I use it occasionally. Seaweed in mine. Yeah, me. It does wonders for the potatoes. Oh, compost. Good look. We've had. I've just um, we still had Roma tomatoes and tree tomatoes coming up this week. And um, it's nice yeah. and early. Well, no, they've been going since October last year. We had like yeah, I know, but they're they're coming up and what they're leafing out and everything. Well, no, the Roma bush has died. I, I actually tore the Roma bush out at four a.m. this morning. They're annuals, aren't they? Yeah, I took the last fourteen tomatoes I've been. I tore the the withered vine out, and the the cherries are still very green. The the bush is still green, so oh, very nice. And that's good soil because we don't use chemicals. We use compost. We use what rainwater. Do, what do people use chemicals for? Because it's cheap and easy. It's like it's an efficient way of doing stuff. Inverted commas. But I mean, if someone said to you, "Here's a really nice thing to flavour your coffee. It's cheap, and it's called Ratsack, and it kills rats," would you use it? Some people would, yeah. Some would, yeah. There's no excusing some behaviours. I oh, look anything. Look, if I'm because of that sort of personality, I think, oh, okay, I'll just can I suss it at first. I'll just I'll, I'll think about it. Well, some people are like, yeah, easy to please. Yeah, I'll try. Yeah, sounds good. And yeah, <laughs> people do that. You'd be surprised, my dear, what you've seen here over the years. You know. I use I mentioned rat sack listener because I remember of all five, six, seven years back there was a case of some woman who was being tried for attempted murder of her husband. And apparently she'd been putting rat sack in his coffee every morning and every evening. And he did say that he thought it uh, tasted a little strange and it did sort of go green and frothy, but mm. he drank it anyway. And I thought, well, I don't want to drink coffee that's sort of green and frothy. He, it, he it really only tipped over. He really only sort of told her to ease off when she threw, for the second time, the radiator into the bath when he, when he was in the bath. As you do. Mm. Now, we know someone who actually tragically lost their life in the episode of Radiators and Baths. Oh, dear. Oh, I won't mention sorry. that. Well, some, you, you know the person too. I'm well, I'm, there. I'm very sorry. I'm sorry. Look, I, I can't take back what I said. This is uh, many, many moons ago, yeah. but it's his person um, took their own life. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> not, not nice. But yeah, chemicals are a concern. And health and safety. Look, health and safety is union business. And the only people protect workers' health and safety at work are union representatives, union health and safety reps, because you know the employer, the employer pays lip service and works after the advertising campaigns. They were organising the job. Can you protect your safety? And um, yeah, I mean, and it doesn't matter if it's in the education field, the health field, construction, transportation, warehousing. Health and safety is a reality for your life and limbs. So again, make sure wherever you work, you have an elected health and safety rep who's working on behalf of you as a worker. Isn't that right, my dear? Oh, heavens, yes. Be safe in your own house, too. Uh, it's quite... Um, I tell you one thing, listener. Be very careful when you you see your local government authority, the council, your local council, those little sort of vehicles moving past, spraying stuff oh, through yeah. your fence. Please, you know, be very careful of that. I don't know what's in it, and I can't find out. I just don't want it sprayed through my fence. Um, and I've had many, uh, uh, not an argument, but a discussion, which I've put my point of view to the poor little worker who's just been told, go and spray along this street here, mm. to say, please don't spray on my fence or next door's fence, please. We have animals. We grow food in the front garden and we have pets. We have animals here. Please mm. don't spray. But 
And they go, oh, look, the first time that happened to me, the chap drove off at about an, an, an hour later. He came sneaking back and sprayed it anyway. Did what do you, you do? What do you do? Listen, do you run out and kill him? No. no you you ring you? your local councillor. Who's your councillor? Who's your councillor for your ward? And speak to them. Say, okay, the number plate for the car was ABC123. He was uh, Miss Man, blah, blah, blah. Can you please follow up for me? You know, I, want a, I want a safe house to live in. And speaking of safety and safe houses, um, I see the Australian of the Year of Rosie Batty came out in support of saying you know, workers should be given leave from work to deal with family violence issues. And what did our wonderful illustrious leaders, Mr. Rabbit, Mr. Shorten, say? You mean, no, uh, too you, expensive. Oh, you mean uh, the Prime Minister, the... You mean... Mr. The, Rabbit. You mean the, the, the Minister for Women. That's the one. But he says it's too expensive to give family leave, you know. How can an employer pay for you to take 10 years... Your husband's trying to kill you. You got 10 hours off work. That's going to cost my business money, you know. Ridiculous. That's the mindset. You know, in the days of chemicals, of domestic violence, everyone has a right to live safely. And um, you only achieve those things by supporting each other. Because it's quite clear the police won't do it for us. It's about getting together and running campaigns and raising awareness. And uh, yeah, everyone has a right to be safe in their home and in their workplace. So good on your Rosie Batty for your hard yard you put in for your, your worthwhile cause. And um, you. There's been a few good Australians of the year in the last few years. Adam Good's another one. But Rosie Batty's been fantastic. And Adam Good's an Indigenous footballer. And since he's been Australian, he's been booed over and over and over. There's been a lot of debate. He's been booed because he's Indigenous. And because he's stuck up for the rights of Indigenous Australians. And is that for, the reason he's booed? Because he's Indigenous, yes. People, look, you won't say it openly. Other, is there any other reason? There's, there's, a, there's a cacophony of stories as to why. But the primary factor is he's an Indigenous Australian who speaks up for his people. And that's obviously upset a lot of people in white Australia. But he's a footballer. Yeah, he's booed constantly, excessively booed. He's been targeted. It's been quite clear to everyone the last year and a bit. Ever since he's taken a stand in public against racism, ever since Australia of the year, a lot of supporters have turned on goods. And, you know, I was always taught white Australia has a black history. And um, unfortunately, we've come a long way with reconciliation. There's a lot further to go. We've got a long, long way to go. Because for people who have 50,000 years... They've only existed as part of our constitution for less than 50 years. You know, what has happened? What have we done? What can we learn? We need to move forward and break down these stereotypes. So, yeah, Adam Goods, Rosie Batty, two greatest strains of the year. That's my soapbox for a minute. We're never going to have a Prime Minister of any colour or, 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 or persuasion say words like, I'm sorry, because what they're talking about is not about apology. It's not about recognition it's what those pollies are talking about is compensation that's the word they hate oh they are terrified having to pay out for the injustice they've caused but again look we're happy to pay millions of dollars to this inbred family of German British monarchs who do nothing but you ask for compensation for a victim of you know racism or whose land's been taken different ball game you know and as you often say my dear about the golden rule those have the gold make the rules no, that, def- that is the golden rule it is Them's yeah. a, them that's got the gold makes the rules mm. that came from um, Ballarat the fields of Ballarat and Ballarat's the birthplace of Australian democracy so it is I'm proud to be part of, uh, proud to be from Ballarat <laughs> well I'll be in Ballarat this time oh, I mean, I'll be in Ballarat in two days from now after Ballarat on Sunday 
What are you doing in Ballarat? There's races. Oh, the races. <laughs> races. I was thinking this is something wonderful. This yeah, the races. Some historical, <laughs> you know. The races. But, and Ballarat's close to Creswick. But as I said, Creswick was the um, the birthplace of um, Billy Spence, the union official. And he's probably a stra- oh, no, not probably. Without doubt, Australia's greatest Prime Minister, John Curtin, was born in Creswick. Without doubt, Australia's greatest Prime Minister. I think he was, yeah. You, you've, I wonder if we actually did a poll one day and said to people, look, when you make me dictator of this country, just for five years, or maybe ten, but just, but just for a, a set amount of time, make me dictator, I'm going to say I'm going to have statues put up with things and I'm going to recognise... The, who was the greatest? The great Australian prime ministers, because we won't have them anymore. You'll only have me as dictator. But I wonder what people would say. Who would they say was the best prime minister? In fact, listener, I would ask you to ring on the talkback, but I can't because my um, talkback producer has is lazily taking the day off, lying around in a cushion bed up in the Austin Hospital, enjoying herself, and. As you do. Eating jellies, I suppose, and ice cream and carrying on and being waited on hand and foot. Where do you find these jobs? Up, up, up there. And uh, instead of here producing the talkback, and I had already said we would have talkback this week while the bag man is in um, Lucca or somewhere, okay. where, wherever he is, wherever he may be. Um, wherever he may be, the oh-so-elusive bag man. We'd open the talk back, but I can't do it without a producer. So, to my producer, in case your um, machines are tuned into 3CR. Hello. In, yes, and get up out of, off out of those soft cushions, please, and get down here fast so you can do the talk. In fact, you can catch a bus from the Austin Hospital Gates or catch the train straight down to North Richmond yes. and the tram up here to Smith Street. And if you don't make it in seven minutes... I'd like to say you're sacked, but you can't really sack them, can you, when they're not really employed? Not on sick leave, no. Oh, well, why can't I? Well, I'll give you employed. Look, <laughs> why can't I sack someone on sick leave? Well, what are they, no, who but gave no, them sick the leave? best thing would be if they were casual, you just wouldn't sack them, you give them zero hours. I've worked for labour hire firms when I was desperate. on to zero I've been labour hire firms and um, asked, I'm looking at a long story, but um, asked at my entitlements and they didn't sack me. Every day I'd ring up, and I don't work today. And hang on, like, I'd work every day for three weeks and <laughs> where's it all going? So you learn. It's a very nice way of making yourself unemployed. But um, They call it flexibility in the labour market. Ah, flexibility in the labour market. That's what it's about. That's what Peter Reef used to call it. And the Kate Carnell calls it the flexibility in the labour market, and uh, that's that's the same pay. Reef the thief. That's the one. Reef the thief. That's uh, that's why people wander around saying long distance in- in- information. Won't you give me Peter Reef? And Kate Carnell is the head of the Australian Chamber of Commerce. Australian Chamber of Commerce. She was formerly the what's the what's the role of the ACT? Was she chief? Chief Minister of Australian Capital Territories, and then she became like Jeff Kennett, big in Beyond Blue. And I, oh, I, what I, I oh. as a former mental health worker, I've written to Beyond Blue showing my disgust. You know, happen like Kennett and Carnell as your spokespersons. The amount of depression they have caused in the community. How dare you have people like that as spokespersons? You know. And then she goes from the ACT to Beyond Blue to the head of Australian Chamber of Commerce Industry, and um, 
I mean, she's, she totally opposed Rosie Batty's call for, you know, more paid family leave. Of course leave. she did. Because it costs employers money. And you, as it's better you go home, your husband get killed, and have your employer make, you know, pay you. Well, That's she, the mindset. Well, she, 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 she opposes um, any sort of any sort of rates for weekends. She, she yep. opposes any penalty rates. They In all fact, do. She opposes anything over $11, 10 an hour. Yeah, they all do. Because uh, it's a bad if, year. If they've paid it. It's a bad year for the business community. But yeah, like well, look at hospitality. I mean, you get these rich millionaire chefs and their Rolls Royces wanting to cut penalty rates, and um, most of the hospitality industry don't pay penalty rates anyway. Most hotels and cafes and restaurants are cash in hand. It makes you quite sick, though, doesn't it? it Listen, does. when you see those sort of celebrity chefs uh, rolling around with all their all the money they have. All their bling and the flashy cars. Yes, and they can't afford to pay anyone to work for them. That's right. You can, but you can have two Rolls Royce and lots but of bling. I think you're supposed to work for them for the pleasure of working for them. It is, because you can say I've worked for someone who's a who's a master cook. I've, yes, I've worked for someone who's a fat, greedy, selfish master cook who couldn't give a shit about anyone else. That's the one, correct. Oh, well, you know. Uh, listener, I should actually point out to you, if you're setting your clocks by... A left after Brexit here on 3CR, your only radio left. If you're doing that, it actually has passed the, the half past nine. But yes, Glenn is still here. He's just uh, staying a little later this morning. Oh, here, yeah, my dear. Because we don't have the talk back. Now, you know what time of the year is, don't you? that talk back producer. Sorry. You know what time of the year is rolling around, don't you? What time oh. of year is just around the corner for you and I? Yes, just around the corner, the crazy little corner. It's called it winter. Is, it's called radioza. I bet as well. Don't, please don't go on again, Glenn. We have this argument every year, you and I. But no, I enjoy not it. an argument. It's just a point I say to you every year. Winter is not the 1st of June. Okay, on the official Europeanised calendar of Australia, it's 1st of June, isn't it? But we're in Australia. We are not in North America. The North Americans made up these dates. But we've ad- I know, and you're right. We've adapted them, unfortunately. But how do we have a debate to change it? Why don't we just... Look, there's two variables to me discuss with seasons. One is climate change. means everything's changed temperature-wise. Yes. And secondly, what did the original owners of Australia call these seasons? How many seasons do they have? You know? In Victoria, where we are here, seven seasons in the year. One of them only went for three weeks, but they were distinct, absolute seasons. And I'd love to tell you what they were, but I can't remember them. Um, what you, if you want to see them, go to the museum. They're up there and, you know, Carlton there. Yep. And go into the museum and there is that beautiful indoor part of the museum. It's a beautiful, like, indoor garden. It's wonderful. And there you can go down into little walk-under caves and see wombats and all sorts yeah. of gorgeous things. I've been there before. Or come down to the creek at the back of my house and see them too. Hmm. But when you walk in there, you will see they have a big... There's uh, etched in, in copper along one of the pathways on the side, on the wall there. The seasons, the names of them, when they were, and what the names mean. It's sort of English, like one season is, you know, sort of, as the season as uh, sort of possum catching season or yeah. something. That's that sort of, so they know that's the time you get the possums because then you get them out because you can skin them. Well, you eat them, Obviously. but you keep their skin and, uh, and you've got a nice warm furry coat to warm to wear with the next season, which is, you know. Because concepts like summer, winter, spring, autumn are, have been imposed upon us by, you know, 
Europe, the European concepts. By European concepts, the English concept. Even in England, you won't see people running around saying the 1st of June is summer. They go by the actual uh, sun, by the movement of the earth around the sun and around the planets. And they know that that's not the 1st of June is not... Um, there's summer. No, but it's, it's a nice point on the calendar to say this it's is what the Ameri- It's a really big American thing. And it, to me, it always smacks off, we control nature. We tell nature when to change the seasons. We're saying that in Australia, the 1st of June is the start of winter. Well, in three weeks, just over three weeks' time, it will be... The shortest day of the year, actually the longest night of the year. Is that the 21st of June? The night of the 21st and the 22nd. It's the night, the longest night of the year. After that, you check every day. It's a little bit longer. Because on the 22nd, a very special little girl turned six years of age. I Mm. suppose, Glenn, that you're telling us that this special little girl Mm. turning six is your granddaughter, Miss Fury. That's the one. She's a big six on June 22nd. Yeah, that is getting big. Yes, I remember... (laughs) Big girl now. I remember my sixth birthday party. I I remember so much of when I was six. It was a good age. Only they wouldn't let me do anything. Oh, come six. There were things I couldn't do. I can remember five. I've lost six. I, remember five, I reckon I've lost six and seven. I can remember five well, and eight Well, I was in grade nine. one. I can remember because I remember for, oh, yes, I can okay. count them from my years at school. And I remember the classroom and the girls who sat near me and the boy down the front and that awful boy who sat at the back of me, William Burke. I'll never forget him. And if I ever run into William Burke, I'm sure I will one day, I want to say, remember me? I used to sit in front of you in grade one and grade two till finally in grade two you leaned over and cut off one of my plats. That was good of him. And then, and then they moved you to somewhere else finally. Big boy he was. I'm sure that I'll be told now he had some sort of problems that made him always want to pick on me. Billy Burke. Yeah, William Burke. He's, he's always, William. He was always known as William. Oh, very formal, okay. Always known as William. Well, Perhaps that was his problem. I recall grade one. That's when I stopped drinking milk. But I used to leave milk out in the sun. Oh, you I stopped drinking real, it. Oh, I can't drink milk. But I would leave it in the sun. And it used to kill. I get really... Un- well, I love milk to have been. I've well, never your covered. school you handed it wrongly because I was drinking milk right up to... I was 15 when I was still drinking the milk oh, in school. I can't drink milk, no. Well, they stopped it. No, but it just, they just had to put it in a place out of the sun. But they didn't. <laughs> They didn't put it in the sun. Well, I got really did. crook as a grade one student. Well, they did at my schools. But Oof. I do remember the class because it was Sister Mary at Ad- Ad- Adelbert. Sister Mary Adelbert had that um Was she Deutsch? No. Is Adelbert Deutsch? Adelbert. It's actually Ethelberg, oh, Ethelberg. which is a beautiful Saxon name. And Saxon is part of was part of was uh, one of the Saxons, of course, who came to England, were, did come from that part of Germany, called, oddly enough, Saxony. Saxony. But, yeah, but they, that's mainly the bulk of English-speaking peoples, and the English peoples that today in England and in Australia and in North America, they're basically Saxons. Mm. So her, her name was really Ethelberg, and she was a very famous woman. Ethelberg, and her... Um, her uh, contemporary, um, Agatha. 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 So Adalberta and Agatha are very beautiful names of very strong, amazing women who mm. fought against the confines and constraints of their society. Why not? 
at the time. And the only way they could actually get on in the world, these two rich young women, was to get out of it and go and join. Go get thee to a nunnery. And they joined a convent, actually started up a convent themselves and stayed there. Get thee to a nunnery. It's the only way. And truly, sometimes, listener, I think this is the only way for many women to do today. Just go and live on your own. Go and live with a bunch of other women. Go and buy a big property and go and live there. Go to Dalesford. And call... Weapon. And call yourselves nuns and get a lot of get lots and lots of government funding. Well, lots of tax breaks too. Because you can be a big church, have millions and own millions of acres, and you're a tax-free status. Yes. But yes. if you're a small ecological group opposing to mining, your tax-free status will be challenged. You'll be checked about, you know, well, if you get tax donations, um, no, we need to review this. But hey, like the golden rule, my dear, those that have the gold make the rules. And speaking of gold, it's radiothon time soon. Yes, June one to June fourteen. We, we need to some hold gold. It up a bit. I was trying to hold it up. I a bit. couldn't. I had to burst forth and let, let it fly out. Uh, June the twelfth, the radiothon for us here. Two weeks from today. Is it two weeks away? It is, my dear. Oh my god! We'll be in like That's Flynn what that my day. Cat says. That's what my cat always says. Oh my god! We'll be in like Flynn. The listeners now. If you'd like to hear Susanna, the bagman, and even me, we need your support. 3CR, your only radio left. So in two weeks, on June 12, you'll be able to give us a call on 94198377 and pledge for the 3CR radio fund for 2015. And I'll be knocking on your door soon, listeners, saying, give us the pledge before we actually get to June the 12th. We'll have to do that. And we will, of course, be having another... Um, Day down at St Kilda. They go well, they do. Probably October. We'll do it much bigger and better this year in a much different format. I'll be going, yeah, and it'll be. It'll be fantastic. I'd like to employ um, your former school teacher, Susan Skillies. Hello, Susan. Again, and and pay her. And pay her for um, catering or. She did a a great job last year. She did a fantastic job, and I feel I still feel very guilty. That I didn't actually give her money for that, and I think we'd have to do. Well, that. that's your ex-Catholic coming to the surface, that guilt complex. No, that's just a, that's okay. that's a guilt thing of a human being to another human being. I won't forget. I'll never forget Susan Scalise for doing that, and also for that yummy, gorgeous food. Of course, none of which I can eat this year. Well, none of which I can. That eat. means there's more for the other 150 people who attend. Yeah, hundred was hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy attended last oh, year. Something like well, what's what's an extra twenty oh, when you get to hundred and fifty? I anyway? can only count my hands so many times. I lost, I kept my hand over and over and over. And how many fingers are left? And yeah, it's hundred and hundred and sixty-seven, hundred and seventy-eight. I mean, anyway, with a with a cast of hundreds. I was married to a man once who couldn't count uh, past twenty unless he was undressed. Yeah, but. but, but, but it, well, he got to 21. <laughs> 21. I mean, that's, but, that's it for me, I think. <laughs> men, but some men often have trouble counting. I I, um, I, I know this. I won't say anything. I'll just shut up. I'll just, well, I'll, let, I'll, yes, I'll, I know my place. Yes, and we were, and, and I was saying, oh, my cod earlier. Sorry to give you such. Uh, Who, who's cod? A haddock. That, that's what my cat says. My cat's, oh, my God. My, my, my cat's famous for saying that. And, you know, there's that little short, that little um, acronym that goes around in online circles, OMG. Yeah. Well, my cat always writes OMC. Oh, my God. Well, he's a cat. What, what else Who might I argue? What Who else might I argue? Write? And I have to say, good morning, Vladimir. I know he's listening this morning because I left him next to the radio. Which poor does he roll with? Because, because he like, he's a left poor. He's a molly duke. He's a oh, south poor. He's south poor. 
Yeah, and, and he's a right kick, I've noticed, as he runs up and down the hallway at, <laughs> at, at three o'clock in the morning chasing oh, yes. cotton reels. No, but I left him sitting next to the radio this morning because it calms him down to Why hear not? my voice. Why not? Hello, Vladimir. Now I'm going to go, my dear. I've got some tasks to do, but I'll be back here next Friday, same time, same place. So listeners, stay tuned in here. Susanna's still here until 10 o'clock. And don't forget, as we said, in two weeks now, we'll need your support to keep 3CR, your only radio left, and left after breakfast, your main left show. So until I return the fortnight, I'll say the word to my forebears. Chocula. Chocula. Farewell, lovely Erin. I'm bound for to leave you. May peace be on your daisy glad hills in wild foreign lands I'm bound for to praise you and I'll sing of your sweet winding rills my parents for my welfare may did their endeavor as parents will do for any son well i think i might leave that that's a little bit mournful isn't it it's a farewell it's a lament from the wonderful dolores Keane. you know I i was dreaming the other night and and some that I was singing, I had to sing something, and I was embarrassed in in my dream to have to sing. But I suddenly started singing just like De- Dolores Keane. It was thrilling. But the worst thing was, no one in my dream seemed to even notice it. Dreams are good things to have sometimes. It's the only thing that keeps me going. You know, the, being able to dream, the ability sometimes to daydream and of a better world. And a few weeks back, I was really, uh, you know, once again, I'd reached the pits, the absolute pits of sort of depression and stuff about the world. And I thought, what kind of a bloody world am I living in? You know, is this Australia? Am I actually standing in it? What has happened to my country, to the people, my fellow, you know, what's going on? Why have they turned into a, a bunch of not just stupid, bloody morons, but greedy, selfish, vicious bastards who are quite prepared to watch other people, other people die in front of them as, as long as they have all their loans for their cars and their second mortgages and their holidays in Bali. No, um, and I think so. I think, what have I done all my life? Well, when I've had to get up and fight for stuff, and I thought, how can I possibly keep going? You know, what's the point of it? And what was the point of it? Is it all for nothing? And I said that on air. In a moment of despair, I said it on air. And I received a lovely letter from a listener, a beautiful letter from a listener which inspired me once again well really had me to keep on going keep going it was from a wonderful woman who last year I met at a radio a radiothon do down at the fabulous eco centre down there in St Kilda and she uh, gave me a nice bottle um, of flavoured water 
or could it be it was coloured and flavoured from the Hunter Valley or somewhere but it was very nice but she wrote me a beautiful letter and I thank you it's just when you're feeling down and someone puts their hand down and says hey it's not as bad as this you did fight you did do these things and sure yes we see them those gains that have been made that we've all made and you sort of supported being made and you put in your bit to have them being made and you see them not just being crumbled away but being ripped away don't give up keep up the fight and so i thank you to that listener we have some fantastic listeners at 3cr we really really do well think about it i mean who else is going to listen only the best people apart from perhaps a handful or two who want to listen just because they want to find something to complain about. I want to complain to someone today. Uh, I think I'll listen to 3CR and find something to complain about. And, of course, they will. And, of course, they will. Ah, dear me. Look, I'm... Someone else who might be dreaming today, I wonder what's happened to Twiggy Forrest. What's his name? What's his real name? He's not... Twiggy, it's Andrew or something, isn't it? Andy Forrest, billionaire. Do you remember him, listener, running around last year in his bluey and his shorts, standing next to his sweaty labourers uh, and pretending to be one of the blokes? One of the blokes? That's that man. Well, I see poor Forrest has fallen off the list of the 10 richest people in Australia. What a shame. What a heartbreak for him. I don't care. I don't care that the young, that ugly young packer. Oh, sorry, sorry. I've done it again. Listener, I apologise. You should never judge anyone by the way they look. Um, You shouldn't sort of even mention the way they look. But, you know, you, you go by the old adage. Beauty is only skin deep. But ugly goes right to the bone, and ugly goes right to the soul when it comes to the Packer family. But anyway, forget I said that. But I, I don't care if uh, the young Packer is um, fallen off that list. What a shame for him. But you must think about poor Forrest. Gee whiz. Losing all his money. Well, most of his money is down. He's down to $6 billion. His, his personal wealth is only six billion. Don't you feel for him? Should, should we have a, a bit of a, a, a whip around? Put out the hat on the building site or something for poor old Forrest, Andrew Forrest. If it's not Andrew Forrest, I apologise, listen for his name. I've got it wrong. He's always called Twiggy, and I don't want to call him that like he's a mate of mine. He's not a mate of mine. He's not a mate of yours either. I see that... Mount Gina's uh, wealth has also taken a huge hit. Oh, my word, goodness gracious me. She was hit not just from the falling price of iron ore, but she has, her wealth has had a whack to it. She's only worth, she's only worth, you know, 20 billion a year. 20 billion a year now. That's all she's worth now. The poor lass. The poor wee lassie. After, oh my word, after the New South Wales Supreme Court decision has awarded control of her $5 billion family trust to her daughter. 
This is Mount Gina for you. Not only, not only is she worth twenty billion a year, she also fights with her children to stop them getting any of her bloody money. This is what they're like. Seriously, you get these incredibly, well, seriously rich people, obscenely, obscenely rich people. How could you possibly spend $20 billion a year? I mean, what would you do if you had $20 billion a year? Well, think of all the good you can do for the world, the wars you could stop, the people you could feed. You know, well, it's just, but it's too big for even Mount Gina, even a big woman like Mount Gina can't even, you know, imagine that, couldn't conceive of that. But seriously, when you've got money like that, it seems to make people worse. Like the more they have, the more savage they get at protecting it. Maybe that's why I'm a nice person, listener. Please, please don't stand up and yell and call me, you know. Tell me that I'm not nice. Well, of course I'm not really. But the point is, I don't have anything like 20 billion a year, for heaven's sake. Uh, what, have I, what have I got, 20,000 a year? Maybe. But it's because it's so, because it's so low, because it's there's the very minimum. It hasn't occurred to me to clutch every last five cent piece and not allow, in case, just in case someone else gets it. My word, just in case my daughter gets it. Oh, just in case one of my sons get it. For heaven's sake, suppose a grandchild gets it. But this is what Mount Gina, the poor wee lassie, the daughter of, you know who her father is. And I tell you what, the, the twig doesn't fall very far from the tree when you look at her old man. He's dead, isn't he? Well, I hope he is. But... But anyway, she she will appeal. She will appeal the court case, of course. Why should the family trust, the five billion a year family trust that her old man, her father set up, why should any of that money go to her children? Surely it's for her. I mean, as she said, her father gave it to her. He, he, her father didn't give it to her children. My word, can you imagine that? But what the hell are they going to do with all these bloody things, you know, with all that money? Well, they're still engaging in separate court... Their children are still fighting through separate federal court proceedings to actually get more of their share of the five billion. Well, her children are just like her, greedy bastards. Well, what do you expect? What do you expect in a family like that? I mean, could you be proud of a family like that? I said earlier, I'm, I'm proud to be, you know, from Ballarat that my family in, in Australia, apart from the poor, you know, 12-year-old boy in the jail in Tasmania, dragged here in chains to Tasmania at age 12, apart from him, my family had been basically Ballarat. They came here for the gold. Uh, and the other couple who didn't come here for the gold came here because of the hunger. Uh, what is it? Angurthamor, the great hunger in Ireland. And they were sent here as um, servants to work for those who were digging for the gold. The, the ones who came for the gold got servants from the poor Irish girls of the great hunger. But... So, but I'm, but I'm proud to come from that part of Victoria. I'm proud of my background. I'm proud of my family. I may not be proud of particular members of it right at this moment, but and you know who I mean. But 
no, I'm proud to say that's my family. And look at Reinhardt. Can she say, I'm proud of my family? Could she be? Could she be proud of a father like that? You'd be... You'd go out of your way to hide that disgusting brute as your father, wouldn't you? And what about her children? She does. She fights with her children over money. Her children fight with her over money. Is she still fighting those children um, that her father Hancock foisted onto? That her father's. Don't forget her. Her father is also the father of some Aboriginal children. Did they get a bloody penny out of it? No, because as Mount Gina said, their mother wasn't married to my father. What she should have said was, their mothers, plural, were not married to my father. Oh, they're a foul family, aren't they? What a foul family. Oh, I'm a bit chest-beating here listening about foul families. Just while I'm still chest beating, I did notice some more chest beating recently and a lot of hair pulling out over the damage done to um, to Palmyra, the beautiful, astoundingly beautiful city of Palmyra, which is uh, the ancient trade route that linked, that linked China, Persia and India with the early Roman Empire. And I see people wailing and weeping about it now because it's being bombed. People are... You know, how sad, and it would be a sad loss, and it is a sad loss to the world, listener, to lose some of this beautifully, stunningly beautiful city. But no one seemed to mind about the savage bombing and burning of the also astoundingly beautiful historical city of Baghdad. I suppose it depends what side you're on. What side are you on, listener? Always keep that in mind when you talk to people or read the news or look at something and you think why is someone doing that why are they behaving this way just think what side are you on which side are you on and I'll tell you what which side I'm on listener it's a side just out that door at the moment because it's time for me to leave we'll be followed by the uh, the keep left show and they have a talk back coming on with their show too so once again, I'll say goodbye, I'll fare thee well, adieu, chocula to everyone out there in listener land. Don't you love that listener land? How twee. See ya. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.